I don't know about you guys, I love being in the presence of God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scoot up here a little bit. It is, uh, so thank you, worship team. It is, uh, it, it's good for us, right? It's, uh, we can, I mean, the word is good for us too, but there's something, I don't know about you guys, there's something that goes on inside of me with, with corporate worship that is, uh, I can't find anywhere else. I, I don't get that in the shower. So, which is the great, the place I sound the best, by the way. Um, so, uh, well, let me pray. Well, let me just tell you this. We're going to, we're going to step into second Peter one, one through five or one through 15 this morning. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and just, uh, invite God into this. I know I need him this morning. So heavenly father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for just for the gift of opening my eyes this morning. Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you just for the gift of your word. Father, I thank you for the gift and the opportunity to come and to bring your word, Father, to bring you who I love to the people that I love. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts to hear you. Father, I ask that you would just speak through me, Father, clearly and uh, precisely what it is that, that you want our body to know this morning. And that, Father, that we would leave here encouraged. That, Father, we would leave here challenged this morning. Father, we would leave here with a pathway to more intimate relationship with you, Father. Lord, we thank you for that. And Father, I just thank you for the, the, the letters, Father, of Peter specifically, Father, to the, to the church. That, Father, as um, important and as on point as they were in his day, Father, they're so on point for us today. So Lord, I thank you for that and ask that you would help us to, to pull out what, it, what you have for us today in it. And I ask all this in Jesus' great name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to go, as I said, to Second uh, Peter uh, one, uh, one through fifteen, and we're going to answer a couple questions. We're going to answer the who is Peter. We're going to answer why is. Um, let me see my next question here. I'm, who is Peter? Why is his message important? Or uh, who's he writing to? Why is his message important? And what can we do with it today? So those are the things I'm wanting to, uh, for us to tackle this morning. And one, just, just starting off here, I'm going to read off some, just kind of some things that we see throughout the New Testament of who Peter is. So it's one thing to see that, oh, he was a servant, he was a disciple, he was an apostle. Those are all nice words. We all have some image in our mind of what that is based on what scriptures we've read. But there's some very key things that, we, that, I, that I see with Peter that's not true of all the disciples or not true of every character in scripture. And one of them is that Peter had some very uh, real, authentic experiences uh, with Jesus and with, uh, with people around what, God, what Christ had done in him. So we see that he was, uh, Peter, James, and John were very close to Jesus. They were the, kind of the, the three that were the most intimate with Jesus in, in friendship. You would say if Jesus had a group of friends, these were his closest friends, right? Um, so we see that just as a establishment of who Peter is and, and, and why, maybe what he is saying and from his relationship with Christ, why it's important to us, right? I would be more apt to listen to Peter than to maybe someone who never hung out with Jesus or just read the letters of Jesus. I would prioritize what Peter said, someone who had intimate interaction and relationship with him. So we see that uh, Peter's the one that, uh, that uh, denied Jesus three times, right? So we also see that he is the one who cut off the temple guard's ear, right? We see a fiery, passionate Peter. He's, he's the one who said to Jesus, I'll never deny you. But then Jesus says, hey, you're going to deny me, right? Uh, and Jesus was right. Uh, 
We also see that he's the one that Jesus said, Peter, after Jesus sets him back in relationship with him, right, he says, feed my sheep. So, again, very intimate, very direct uh, line of what, God's, what Jesus is calling Peter to. We also see that Peter is one of the three out of, with James and John that are at the transfiguration, right? I, I have this vision I may have shared with you all before of in that moment that the humanity of, of Jesus is peeled back and he sees Peter, James, and John see the, the, the glory of God, right? Um, and, and they say, hey, Peter says, let's build a tent for each of you guys here. But he saw something that the other disciples didn't see, right? So again, gives him uh, very um, gives gives him weight in what he what he says to us in, in these letters. He's also the Peter that was at Pentecost, right? And the tongues of fire come down, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And in his message, his delivery, his his sermon there, five thousand uh, men plus women and children come to to follow Christ. He's also the Peter that's in the Book of Acts, and who is so filled with the Holy Spirit when Ananias and Sapphira lie, right? They bring deception into it. The Holy Spirit, they drop, right? There's, there's something that's in, that's in Peter there, and he's comfortable with, with the Holy Spirit in him that this happens. He's also the Peter that goes into a trance, right, and has a vision, and then is, he invites, or by command of the Lord, invites the Gentiles into to, to fellowship as in followers of the way, right? It wasn't, from that point forward, it was not just a thing that was for the Jews, it was also for the Gentiles. So, uh, we also, here, I've just got a couple more just pictures of Peter here. He's also the Peter that was in prison, right? And uh, it pleased Nero to, to, to kill Christians, and he had planned on killing Peter, but while he's in prison in the night, the angel of the Lord comes and frees Peter, and he walks out of the prison, right? Again, it sounds like a man who's walking closely with the Lord, right? God's doing miraculous things in and through Peter. And he's the Peter that we see in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, you are the rock. And upon you, or upon this that I'm doing in you, I'm going to build my church. Um, and then finally, he's the Peter. We have this picture of Peter that denied Christ early on in, in Jesus' ministry, and then we have this Peter here that at the end of his life, he doesn't say, he doesn't run like he did before and deny, I don't know him, da 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 yada, yada, yada. He's the one who says, don't crucify me like my Lord. I'm, not, I'm unworthy. Crucify me upside down. Right? There's this, I'm not ashamed of him. I just don't see that I am worthy still. Right? There, there's that, that, that Peter that we're seeing here. So it's just from that perspective there, that's the Peter that's writing this letter that we're going we're gonna to read uh, the first 15 verses of. Let's see here. Let's go to what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something a little crazy here, okay? We're going to read the first 15 verses, but I'm going to start with verse 12, okay? Because there's something that's important here in verse 12 through 15. And what that is, is it's Peter's going to set a... Uh, what I believe is he, he wrote here is like his, his last will and testament. He's going to put some weight to this letter. This is the last letter that, we, that I know of that we have uh, from Peter. These are kind of his last words, if you will, to the church. So he says here in verse 12, first Peter, or 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 12, he starts, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, and we're going to talk about those qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, 
I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that putting on, but, but that the putting off of my body will soon be as our Lord Jesus made it clear to me. And he says this right here. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter's, he knows he's going to die, right? It's like, he, I'm, I'm coming to the end. But what, what, I'm, what I'm telling you is so important that I'm going to make every effort before I pass that you can recall it, that it's always available to you. Do you think that if, uh, you think that might be important? Yeah? Have, has anyone ever, uh, we, we see different movies, we've maybe walked through different experiences where we've lost a loved one or we know we're losing a loved one and we hang on to those last words, right? Those last experiences. I know when my, my stepdad passed away, for years, I kept his voice, some voicemails just to hear him, just to, to hang on to some memory, some experience, something that would bring me comfort, bring me closer to him, right? So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you all a little story that, um, that I had experienced. I just watched, a, I shot a video of this uh, uh, earlier in the year to send to my brothers around that very experience of hanging on to a memory. When my father-in-law, or my father-in-law, my father was passing away, his name's Kermit, um, I'd gone to see him uh, maybe a couple of months before he'd gone into the hospital. And in that, that time that I went down to see him, there was this um, a, a unique experience that I had with him. Uh, my, father, my, my, my dad was always a Dallas Cowboys fan and a talk radio guy. And every once in a while, would watch westerns. That's what we grew up with. That's what I remember of him. Uh, and as I reflect on just even memories of my childhood, good memories of my childhood, those were what we did. That's that's what we did. If I went to work with him, we listened to talk radio, right? Or we would listen to sports radio. But it was always around the Cowboys. So on this adventure, as I, I drove down from here in Stillwater to go see my dad, I walk in his front door, and Fran, uh, his wife, says to me. Hey, while you're talking to your dad, would you talk to him about why he's watching Hallmark movies? He's always watching Hallmark movies. I'm thinking, my dad? <laughs> my dad's not a Hallmark man. He's a righteousness always wins, Cowboys, you know, or, or not the Dallas Cowboys, the Westerns. Um, a Cowboys fan, talk radio. He's a man's man. He built cabinets all his life and was just a, a kind of a just always work with his hands. He's a man's man. He doesn't, he don't watch chick flicks, right? So it kind of caught me off guard, but I said, sure, Fran, I'll, I'll talk to him about that. So I am later on in the, in the, in the morning, I'm in his, in his office with him and I'm working on some stuff on his computer. Uh, I'm not the guy to work on your computer, but my dad was desperate. Um, so I did, and I'm on the phone talking talking to some uh, to a call service that had was supposed to be helping him, but actually was taking advantage of him. I got involved in that. But while I'm doing that, and I'm facing the computer, and he's over here to my right, he starts. Ta- I just said to him, I said, Dad, "Hey, what's this? I hear that you're watching Hallmark movies." Again, out of character, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lean in there. I'm curious. Well, I didn't know what I was asking. He begins to tell me about this, this one specific Hallmark movie where this man 
was, um, he was at the end of his life. And in, in this Hallmark movie, he was looking back over his life and where he had spent his time and where he had spent his money and all, that, uh, all the regret that he had. So my dad starts talking to me about this man, but he goes in this story, he goes from talking to me in the third person to the first person. He goes from that man to me. And as you can imagine, my entire body stiffens up, right? I remember just the the hair on my neck and going, okay, Lord, this is, I don't have these moments with my dad, right? But he begins to tell me this and that all these cabinets that he's made, that they're, they're built, those houses, they're now tearing those houses down. And how he had traded those cabinets and that money and that time, he had taken that over the time with his kids, over time with his wife. And my dad stepped out of our lives when I was 14. So a whole lot of life that he had missed out on with his kids. And he's regretting it. And he tells me, he says, in the, again, in this story, as he goes in the first person, and I can't get that back. I'm 72 years old, and I can't get that time back. And all the money in the world, all the money that I made, it, what is it? It's gone. And I, and I can't have it back. And he says to me these great words. He says, son, don't do what I did. And any of you guys that have known me for, from before I was here, I love work. right? I feel like I'm being a man if I'm working. Uh, I feel like I'm being a good provider if I'm working, right? And, and burying myself there and finding a lot of my identity there. But as I engage my dad there and he, as I, I experienced this with him and I finally, I turned to him as he is saying to me, he says, son, don't do what I did. And he says, are you listening to me? Are you hearing me? Don't do what it is that I did. And I said, yes, dad, I hear you. I'm clinging to that. I I hear you. And he says it again. Just please, son, promise me you will not do what I did. And out of that, we'll go into all the details after that. We had this moment where we just got to hug. And my dad wasn't a touchy guy. He was, at this point in his life, he was already sick and frail. Just getting, I felt like literally as I was hugging him, I was holding him. And we got to just have this moment together. And I remember leaving his house after doing a couple of things for Fran and going around the corner and just making this commitment to God after just weeping one because I didn't know I needed to hear that. There was so much that was um, communicated and exchanged between us and there, so much healing. Um, one, that it wasn't a rejection of us as kids. It was a, a, whether it was a love of money or a need of money, a variety of other things, but he regretted those choices. And as I reflected back on that, that was repentance, right? He was saying, I regret what I've done. I regret what I've chosen. And son, because I love you, let me tell you, don't make the same choices, right? So I rounded that corner and I just put it in park and I just, I just cried out to God. I said, God, help me. I love, I love work. I love these things and I'm more comfortable there. I'm, I can measure those successes. I can't measure the successes with my kids. I don't see that. I don't, I don't get to measure that with my wife or my church, or my community. Even with you, I can get up and have all this time in the world with you, but it's not measurable. But God, I'm making this commitment. I invite you to come and you just do whatever you need to do there to change that, that I will, I'll hang on to this man's words. And I didn't know that three months later he'd be gone. 
Right? I'm hanging on to this man's dying words to me. And that was the transition in my life to selling some businesses, um, really engaging, and I won't even go as far as to say obeying God and fully committing to ministry with, with undivided and then to here in the church as that opportunity um, provided itself. But the importance of hanging on and hearing someone's last words. So when Paul is telling us, right, or not Paul, when Peter is telling us right here, this is so important that I'm going to make every effort to make it available to you. That you can recall it, you'll remember it. That you will let it be a guiding principle or guiding actions of your life. That it will continue to recalibrate you to come back to what is most important. That's what Peter's inviting us to right here. So it's from that, from 12 through 15 there, those scriptures there, you give, that gives us the weight of what this letter is saying to us. So I want to go back and answer a couple of questions here. Well, let me do this. From there, let's go back and we're going to read the first part of the letter, okay? Since we've now established that it's important. All right. <laughs> Peter says, I, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faithful, a faith equal of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 here. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. There's something there. (laughs) Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful because of sinful desire. And here he goes. Here's, he's going to name off seven qualities here. And this is, I believe, what he's pointing to. Okay, as he's saying, remember, recall these things. He's saying, remember, recall, one, that you've, you've escaped. Right? Because he's writing a letter here to some people. These aren't, these aren't um, potential Christians. Right? These, in this place here, these are exiles. These are the exiles of 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1, who have been scattered because Nero is ticked, right? <laughs> and uh, these people have lost homes. They've lost families. They're, they're running for their own lives. They're being persecuted. They're not, they're not living our lives, right? Um, they're not, hey, it's Sunday. I think I'll go to church. Oh, maybe not. I don't like the outfit I have, you know, or um, a, a myriad of reasons why we wouldn't go to church or we wouldn't do fellowship. These aren't halfway Christians. These people have followed. They've made a commitment to follow the way. And they are being persecuted. The Jews don't like them, right? The Gentiles don't like them because they're, they're, they've raised a standard, right? They're, everywhere they go, they're, they're not wanted. What they have is community of each other. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. So if you want to read more about Peter, go to the book of Acts and you'll see where he shows up there. And more specifically, where God shows up in Peter's life there. So we're reminded here to, to remember that we have escaped. We are freed from the bondages of the desires of sin. So in verse 4 he says, 
Let me go back to verse 3. I'm sorry. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So God's glory and God's excellence, that's what we've been invited to. We've been called to that. By which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. The old nature, the sin nature has gone away, right? And we've been invited to become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort. Make effort? Some effort? A little bit of effort? Every effort, right? Uh, Peter uses some great words here, right? Um, he, he, He puts some emphasis on it. Make every effort to supplement. What is supplement? To add to, right? When a football player, is, he's eating healthy, but he's also taking supplements, right? He's doing, someone who is competing for something, they're adding to so that they can have not just all they, enough, but more than enough of what they need, right? They're, they're training for something, and so they want to give themselves every opportunity, um, every advantage, if you will. So they're, they're, they're doing, they're adding to what they, what the, the base that they have. So he says, supplement your faith with virtue, and your virtue with knowledge, and your knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and with godliness, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So there's seven things there. He's saying supplement, and I believe it's supplement and it's add-on, right? It's like building a house. You wouldn't start with the roof. There's a foundation. The foundation here is your faith. So these people are set in their faith. Again, they're not, they're not Sunday, they're just not Sunday Christians or Sunday morning Christians. This is their life, right? And they're, and they're, they're, they're functioning from that, that, that vantage point. To, to, to follow Christ is to walk around with a bullseye, right? To be hated by all men. So, and even in that, you would think that's enough. Isn't it enough that I'm willing to suffer? I've, I've, I've separated myself. But Peter says, no, that's not enough. From that, that vantage point, you need to supplement your uh, your faith with virtue. And then he goes on to this, and he says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it tells me there just in verse 8, there's an expectation that we're supposed to be effective and fruitful. I would think that just being a follower of Christ would be enough. Hey, I made the commitment. What do you want here? Right? <laughs> I'm already hated by my neighbors, really, you know. Um, but no, he says, man, there's, there's more for you to do. There's something, right, there's a relationship that we're called to, and in that relationship, it's to be effective and fruitful. So he says in verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is nearsighted, or excuse me, is so nearsighted, not just nearsighted, not like every and very. You got this strong word, so nearsighted. Are you nearsighted? I'm so nearsighted, right? I'm so nearsighted, I can't tie my shoes. I can't see the hand in front of me. That's how nearsighted he's referring to here. He's so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Anyone ever been there before? Yeah, I know I have. The devil just comes and reminds me of where I've been and and tries to provoke me to agree with him that I am my old bad choices, right? So he's saying that that's what this person is. And he said that how to stay away from that and how to stay out of that 
is to add these seven or qualities to our faith. So he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more, verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these things, you will never, you will never fall. Did that sound good to say I'll never fall? It doesn't mean we won't ever stumble or we won't ever be tempted. But it means that what I, what I hear there is I'm never going back to that old life, right? That's what I hear there. Verse 11, for this way, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So why are we doing what we do? Because I want that entrance, the entrance ticket, right? I mean, I don't know about you. That's my motivation. And out of that and out of that place, what is that effectiveness and that fruitfulness? It's as, the, as I walk with the Lord, I, I love people, and I want them to have that entrance, entrance into the kingdom too, right? I mean, I don't know about you. I want that for my kids. I want that for my, my brothers. I don't have sisters. I want that for my sister-in-laws. I want that for my neighbors. I want that for you, my church body. Right? As God gives us opportunity to, to build and engage in relationship, I find myself wanting that for people. When I see them bound, as I get to work with Teen Challenge, as I see these men bound in, in bondage of, of sin, and really the symptoms, right? We see a lot of sin, but it's really symptoms of a broken relationship, a missing of relationship with their Heavenly Father. So I am moved, right, to be effective and fruitful. How can I engage this person? How can I give them what God's given me. So that's that fruitfulness and effectiveness that he's, he's talking about. All so I can win them or invite them into this eternal kingdom, right? That's what we're invited. That's what we're called to. That's the quest of the, of the brother or sister in Christ. So from that vantage point, we've talked about who Peter is, and then we've talked about who he's writing the letter to, so just a side note here I see about, as I was reading both Peter's letters, first and second Peter, is that Peter writes both these letters from this aspect that these are, team, these are like, they're, they're like team members. They're, they're members of the same family. He's talking to them. He uses a lot of we and our, right? He's not, he's not educating them. He's talking to equals. What's that? He's reminding, that's right. He says he's talking to a group of people who are after the same thing. They're living and pursuing the same goals, and they're after the same purpose. So as I look across this room here, do we have that? And we're, I'm going to lean into that a little bit more, but do we have that? Is, that? is that something that stirs in you as you hear those words? Do we have the same heart? Are we after the same things? We should be, yeah. And just, I mean, I believe that some, to some extent we are. But as we go down this, there may be this place that we find ourselves stuck. Am I stuck on one of these qualities? Do I have faith, but maybe there's an absence of a quality? Or I'm, maybe I'm stuck in knowledge, but I'm, I, I need some more godliness. I need, there's something that's, that's, that needs to be stirred or awakened or revisited in me. So let's ask the question, why is he writing this letter? We, we've already mentioned some of this. One is to recall, to remember, so that we'll have this stirred in us, right? So that when temptation comes to look back, that we'll have this and say, no, I can't get stuck there. 
I, I, I can't linger there. I have to. I'm tired. I, I'm, God, I just, I just, I'm ready to go home. No, there's more for me to do. I've, as I've engaged other people, I go, if I wake up today, he's got a mission for me today. Right? If I don't, then I have fulfilled my mission. But if we wake up each morning, then he's got something for us today. And we should embrace that. We should engage that with him. So he says, so we can recall and remember who we are, whose we are, and what our mission is. So it's not just here in the by and by, I've got my fire insurance card. I've got my faith, right? I've confessed him. I'm good. Now I can just live the life I want or just live downtrodden and beat down, right? Because that's, is that the life of a Christian? No. We're overcomers, right? He said, don't even fear death. Jesus has conquered death. So he says, we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Guys, that's us. And we're going to talk about some questions of how do I know that this is me? One is, can we still, still sin? We can, but now we can make a choice, right? Uh, I remember there was a time, and I won't go into the, the full story of it, but there was a time I was a slave to pornography. I know that of me. It was introduced to me at the age of four, and it was in and out of my life for a number of years. Back in 2008, though, God did a work in me down at uh, Shadow of His Wings Ministry in South Texas. And I remember that in the natural, here, nothing had changed. It's the same computer, same office, same family, same triggers, right? A financial stress or uh, not feeling enough or, or, or what, what have you. I won't even go into all that, that aspect of my story. But I, and, but I remember there was a time when it wasn't, if I'm going to look at porn, it's when am I going to look at porn? But I also know that what God did in me that weekend, it was the first time that I remember having a choice of am I and the freedom of that. Because by the time that God got a hold of me in 2008 to really, I was begging God, God, please take this from me. I'm a slave to it. It's, it's, it's cancer and it's touching everything. That I was pleading with him. And when he took it, I knew it was gone. I knew there was some healing work that needed to be done, but it was there. It was brought to the light, and really what the root of that was, God dealt with. And that freedom of, I don't have to go back to that. And when those triggers came, the same financial stresses or the same business issues, um, I didn't have to go back there. It just, it was gone. I mean, from the aspect of God had touched something, and I was free. I was free to make a choice. And guess what? Guys, I, so I, when I read this, I, I see that. I've been freed. I have escaped the bondage of sin. I escaped that. God, by his goodness, led me out of that bondage. So, so that's why he's right next to remind them that they've been freed from bondage, that they, there's been a way of escape made for them. Two, um, here we are, back down here. That, you know, Peter is saying, again, the importance of being reminded that we put this stuff in front of us. And in verses 3 and 4, he says, because we have access to divine power. So it's great to say, hey, I've escaped it, but how do we escape it? In Christ, we've done it, and he's made available to us divine power. And then he's also, he says in verse 4, we have precious and very great promises. Right? We don't serve a deistic God who created all this and then walked away, right? He is ever-present in our time of need. So, and this knowledge that he keeps referring to is this experiential knowing. It's the one, that's something that's found in relationship. 
right? It's that uh, here several months ago we talked about the kenoso. It's that the intimacy of knowing as a husband knows his wife, right? It's that knowing. It's that the know of knowledge there is that. There's this knowing that I know that I know that I know that God is real. I know that he's going to work in my life, right? It's the it's experiential. One of my favorite sayings is you'll never find a man with an in, with a experience in an argument with a man with a theory, right? So we talked about this the other night around Kip's uh, campfire. Where you at, Kip? Uh, his fire pit of the importance of our testimony. People can argue with some book, right? But they can't argue with your testimony, right? It's my experience, and there's nothing you can do to take that away from me, right? And each of us in this room, we have that, right? As some have testified this morning, right? Someone can't say, Annette, I'm sorry you didn't have cancer. Let me tell you, she's she's done it. She's walked out the other side of it, right? I know someone else may not have had something. I know what I had, and I know where God showed up, right? Same with Paula. But we all have this. We all have these things. And so he's reminding us of these things, and he's saying, hey, I'm enough. I did that in you. And he's invite, he has invited us to become partakers of divine nature, a reference to earlier sinful nature, right, that we were slaves to sin. In Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're now, we have a divine nature. What wants to come out of me is God, Right? When I bleed, I want to bleed Jesus. I don't, I don't find myself really desiring to give in to my flesh and chew in someone else, man. I want to serve them. I know as Cornell and I talk, we love serving this church body. We do. So, so as we, we look at this and we go, Hey, that's great. It's, I have all that. I have access to this. But as we look at it, are we, where are we at in our faith? I like this, this kind of picture of faith. It's a faith that it says persuaded to come to the truth in, trusting in divine will to become confident in the work of Jesus. Are we, where are we at in that confidence? Where are we at in our faith? Right? We could still be working with mustard seed faith, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all start there, Right? God, if you can, if you're real, would you show up in my situation? And all of us have a different situation, right? Then, but we grow from there, and we experience God's faithfulness in this, and in this, and in this, and this next thing. And we become, in that process, this maturing and this trusting of God and his goodness, his faithfulness, right? He says he's the God of, he's not, he's a God of covenant, right? Even when we break covenant with God, that he's a covenant keeper, that's how faithful God is, right? Isn't that amazing? I mean, wow. I mean, we've got God, creator, making covenant with his creation, and then says, even, not if, but when you fail, I'm still going to show up, right? That's amazing to me. So he says, so from that place of faith that we're walking in this faith, and from that faith we add the virtue. Virtue is moral goodness, uprightness, I like this word, moral superiority, modesty, purity. So adding to this virtue, right? It's important. And so that, again, that's another layer. And then on top of that, we're going to build knowledge. He says, add to your virtue knowledge. And that knowledge is applied knowing gained by direct relationship. That is, as Cornell and I hang out together, as we do stuff together, we're building more and more relationship, right? Or even more specific, think about if anyone's ever engaged a couple that's been married for any 
the longer number of years it is, it seems like, the, the more they can finish each other's statements. Right? They know each other's thoughts. Right? I can have arguments with Heather and her not even be in the room <laughs> because I know her reply to this. Right? I already preemptively have argument answers ready. You know, I'm sure I'm just kidding. That's never happened. <laughs> so, but there's that knowledge that is done in relationship, right? And the more that we hang out with Christ, we have that knowledge with him. It's experiential, right? And no one can take that away from us. So he says, add to your knowledge self-control. And I like this about self-control. It's self-mastery, self-restraint, self-restraint, uh, Dominion uh, or uh, like dominance uh, within, dominance within, or it's um, it's strength, right? It's a um, self control. It's I, I possess me. So no matter what goes on, I'm possessing me. I know what I'm bringing to the table, right? Um, so a goofy thing, but I think that about when you if I watch interviews with MMA guys. And they go, I'm not worried about this guy, him trying to intimidate me. I know what I bring, right? I think that person, because they know their control, they know their strengths, right? And they're self-controlled. You're not going to trigger me. So, so we have that. He says, add your knowledge, self-control, and to your self-control, that next layer that we build upon is steadfastness or perseverance. And I don't know about you guys, but this is probably my, my least favorite word here, <laughs> okay? Because it's patient enduring, it's deliberate. It's strength under trial to remain or sustain under pressure. You know, we, we just, I was laughing with someone the other day, like, oh, never ask for patience, right? <laughs> because why? Because we know that there's a, there are trials that are coming, right, that are going to build patience in us. There's a perseverance that's going to happen in that trial. There's just a, a kind of a working over. And it's good for us but our flesh doesn't want it. So I can, I'll offer to you that mine doesn't want it. But, but Peter's telling us here, hey, that's important. So he says, add to your steadfastness or your perseverance godliness, which is piety or I think of respect towards God. It's devotion. It's being set apart and holy. Some of what we experienced this morning in worship, right? There's just the that this creator God, that you, you, you call us the elect and you let us worship you. And that my life is changed because I'm in your presence. Right? Just as I lift my hands or I bow my head or I, I close my eyes, whatever that, that behavior, that, that yielding of our hearts to say, to be in your presence, it's everything. It changes me. I feel your love. I feel your affection upon me. And I acknowledge who you are. And it's a beautiful thing because when we acknowledge who God is, we're also acknowledging who we're not. Right? In a world where we want to be, or our natural man wants to be the God or the Lord or the Savior of our own lives. Right? We have to yield to God and say, you're God and I'm not. You're the Father and I'm the Son. You're the Master I'm the Servant. You're the Lord. I'm the Servant. I'm the, I'm the under here and I get my direction from you. I acknowledge your authority, your supremacy. Right? So he says, add to your, your perseverance godliness and to your godliness brotherly affection, which is love for, the, for fellow brothers or sisters. It's, uh, I wrote down here, a, a fraternal love or affection. 
it's that like we're members of the same household, right? I've often said about, uh, I'm given this word picture of if I'm driving down the street or I'm going down the street and I see someone yelling at a kid, it's not my kid, I have to make a decision if I'm going to get involved. But if you yell out at my kid, that decision's already been made, right? I'm in there. That we're to treat each other like that, that we're that level of family, that's that fraternal love, that affection of relationship that we're walking in oneness. You know, it's the, if I have it and you need it, you have it because we're in relationship. So if I've got it, you got it. If I don't have it, I'll go get it with you. <laughs> we're going to Cornell's house. <laughs> he says, and add to your brotherly, brotherly affection, love. And that love there is agape. It's goodwill. It's benevolence. Some other wrote, words I wrote here, esteem, to prefer, divine preference. So to add to your love, divine preference to other people. To say, hey, maybe I'm tired, but I choose you. Right? We see this, I mean, anyone here who's married, you see this ideally a lot in your marriage, right? I guarantee Heather doesn't want to make dinner every night. I know what she does on Mondays. <laughs> She's tired, but she does. She comes in and she serves. There's a preference to, I defer to, even in my fatigue, to taking care of. Or in my, I'm just exhausted, or I'm just, frankly, I don't want to. But you do, right? So we do that. We, we make sacrifice for it. It's a love that gives. And in this place, it's divine preference. So, it's again, it's, as we see God choosing us, we see the, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? We see that we're also invited to that divine giving. To be able to say, man, as Jesus said, Dad, if there's any other way, or God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me, right? We also have to say in those moments, hey, God, if there's some other way, I don't want to, but not my will, but yours be done. And we give, we serve, we yield to the work and work, the desire of God in that situation. So he says, and all of this, all of this is in an effort to keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. Right? And I think of that ineffective and unfruitful, what can that look like? It doesn't have to look like, quote, sin. It can look like just being ineffective. It can be just being a couch potato. It can be just getting caught up with the cares of this world. Right? Or even just going through the motions of our Christian life. But not having any passion, any zeal, any, God, my desire is to please you. Right? There's a part of scripture that says, you're doing all the right things, but your heart is far from me. Right? We can be doing that, Right? We can just be on autopilot. We shouldn't be, but we can. And I don't stand here before you as a person who's not or hasn't been. Every day, several times throughout the day, we've got to make those decisions, right? Do I pick up my phone and disappear for two hours in a game or an app or a Facebook? Or a, do I cancel my appointment and just be a bum today? Um, do I... Sleep in and pause God, and I'm not saying that God doesn't want you to sleep in. There's a, there's a time for that rest, but it's that question of the heart. Do I ask God, hey, can I do this? The desire of my heart's to sleep this morning, or can I go play golf, or am I just burn out and I'm going to go disappear, right? I, I, I want that in relationship with him, right? What is it that you're inviting me to? Do you want me playing a game? I love it when God says play a game or go play golf or go hang out with your buddies, you know? But it's from a place of permission 
It's a place of relationship. Yeah, I'm going to meet you there rather than I'm, I'm, I'm disappearing from, quote, the presence of God or the, the perfect will of God for my life to go just to have some me time, right? Some, some rest that's really not going to be restful, right? Because my, maybe my body needs some rest, and I can get that at night, but there's a spirit, there's a spirit in me that really needs to con- commune with God, and in that place I get filled up. And that's what Peter's inviting us to here. He's saying, get stirred up. Here's the things to stay stirred up, to stay healthy in your relationship. So, so what does it look like? What is the spiritual blindness? He says in verse 9, he says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I don't know about you guys, but when, when I get out of the presence of God, or I've kind of just, I'm kind of just disappearing and doing some, quote, me time, then the devil can just come and just work me over. Right? And I can get lost there if I allow myself to. Right? Sometimes without a good wife who says, hey, where you at? That's not the tone you normally use. <laughs> you know? There was that one time, okay? <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> so, but we need those reminders, and that's what Peter's saying here. So there's a spiritual blindness that's here that we can go through all the motions but be spiritually at a deficit, right? So what does that look like? It can look like, I've got this glare on this, it can look like uh, going back to the ways we used to live, something as extreme as going back, in my world, just going back into porn, right? It can look like just going back into, for someone else, it can go back into drugs. I mean, it could look like something that anyone in the look from even the world perspective would go, what a failure, what a piece of work, right? I mean, we can, in place of self-righteousness, judge other people as that, right? But it doesn't always have to look like that. It can look like just mentally surrendering and our heart surrendering to the lies of the enemy. It can look like compromise. It can look like going through the motions. It can look like good church attendance with no fire in our belly. I mean, it can, right? It can, it can be... Hey, God, I'm here. <laughs> Those are my buddies. Somebody's going to be calling me. Johnny's going to harass me. Cornell's going to be bugging me. Where are you at, buddy? If I'm not there, so I better just get up and attend. But there's no relationship there. It couldn't look like following the rules, but living in, a, in an avoidance of his presence. Right? It can be, hmm, I've got the fire insurance card. What's the big deal? Is that enough? Isn't that enough? I'm good. Who cares about my neighbor? Who cares about my kids? Who cares about my wife? That's their relationship with him. What does it mean to be the spiritual leader of my home? My kids don't even listen to me. Right? It can be just this dismissiveness. It can look like the absence of of, of these qualities that he's referring to or he mentions here in our lives. And there's a place for us to take inventory and say, hey, where am I at on that? Where am I at? God, I can't even assess my own heart. I can't judge my own heart. But God, I invite you to come and you to, to search me and know me. For you to, to see if there's that, where, where I am in that fire in my belly. Is it just, is it just cold? Is it just is there a, a glimmering of, uh, of what used to be there? Can you come and you set me on fire again? Can you come put some kindling on the, on the fire? Can you stir the coals? 
Because I need it. My neighbors need it. My children need me to have it. My wife needs me to have it. My community needs me to have it. We may even go as far as to say our political system needs us to have it, right? Our country needs us to have it. But it doesn't start out there. It starts right here. It doesn't even start in our church. It starts with this temple that we're all walking around in, our individual temples, right? God, I need you. I need your Holy Spirit to come and stroke, stoke in me that fire again of my first love. That I'm reminded, as we talked about last or two week, or I guess a week ago about testimonies at, our, at the fire pit, the importance of that, God, that you would remind me of where I, where I was and what you've done for me. And then when I look in the eyes of other people, I can see maybe part of my story they can identify with, and they don't have you yet. Or they need to be encouraged or reminded themselves of what needs to be stirred in them again. That can I be a person who adds kindling to the fire in someone else's belly? Can my testimony, can a kind word, can an action? So what does that look like? God, where am I at in this supplement as I'm supplementing these things to my faith? Do I need? What is it here that I'm lacking? What is it here that needs to be stirred again? Is it self-control? I know for me, I can get on Facebook. I need self-control there. You know, I'll delete it for 10 minutes. Okay, maybe 15 I can step away from that stuff for a little bit, but I have to, there's a discipline that's there, right? To say, man, I like that, but that's not healthy for me. I need this right here. I need it, and those around me need me to have it. Do I need to be working on brotherly affection? Do I have that guy in my life that drives me crazy? Or that lady in my life, for you ladies, I don't have a lady like that in my life. (laughs) My lady drives me crazy. In wonderful areas of, of life. <laughs> Always encouraging. <laughs> so, because my aim is to be effective. My aim is to be fruitful. My aim is to be in relationship with him, right? That, that knowledge that is uh, practical application, that knowing of experience. So just as I close here, I want us to think about that. I want you to just, uh, just to take a moment and do some self-inventory. And just assess, where are you in that? If you can find a place where you can just quiet it all down, turn off the phone, turn off the, the mechanism up here of all the things that we've, we've got to do or need to be done, And reflect on where am I with you, God? And not that I can assess that, you tell me. And it's it's an amazing thing because you know what? When God tells us, there's nowhere to argue, right? Heather can say, I don't know if you heard from the Lord there, if it's me telling her, right? But she can't argue. I guess she can argue with God. We can all argue with God. But it's kind of like with Jacob wrestling with God. You want to lose, right? Because for me to win is not to have the presence of God in my life, right? He says, all right, I'll give you what you want. You're right. You're a super Christian. But there's no fire in that belly then, right? So I would just invite you just to take inventory. Could we do that just here in this moment? Can we just all take a moment and close our eyes? And I'm just going to pray over us. Heavenly Father, we come. Father, as a church body, as my family here, Father, as, uh, Father, as members of the body of you, 
Father, we ask that you would come and you would engage each of us individually, Father, that you would search us. Father, where are we in this relationship with you around faith? Father, show us. And Father, not from the point of a, of a grade, but Father, from a point of relationship. Father, are we loving what it is that you love? Or we invest in our times and our talents in what you love, Father? And not just in other people, but Father, even in our own relationship with you, Father, you love us. That, Father, you long for us. Father, I'm reminded of even how much I love Friday night date nights with Heather. But, Father, you, you don't want just a Friday night date night with me <laughs> or a Sunday morning date. Father, you want fellowship throughout the week, in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening, Father. So, Father, I ask that you would stir in us, Father, this longing to come back to our first love, Father. And Father, we can't fix that ourselves. We just need, we need direction and guidance from you to even do that, Father. Father, as my friend says, the smartest you got you here. The smartest you is not going to get you out. So Father, we ask that you would lead us out and back into your presence, back into that place of of, of, of a longing and fire in our bellies for you, Father. Father, we've been called to something more than Sunday morning and 40-hour work weeks. Father, we've been called to engage the living God. We've been called to love what you love. Father, we want to live and be in relationship with you like the, the people in the book of Acts were. Father, these uh, exiled uh, Christians, the Father, all, that all they had was you, Father. And Father, it is not our aim that all has to be taken from us for us to walk there. Father, we want to have the, um, the character and the relationship with you that, Father, we can hear in this place in this time of our lives, Father, that we can have that with you, even as you entrust us with blessings, uh, uh, blessings upon blessings upon blessings here in, in what we get to live in. But Father, I'll tell you for me, Father, if you have to strip me of all of that to have a relationship with you where there is fire in my belly, then I say, take it, Father. Father, you take it because I don't want it. Father, I want relationship with you. I want more intimate relationship with you, Father. I want my faith to grow. I want it to be, these, these qualities to be evident and strengthened in me, Father. That not just do I live an escape life, but Father, that I can be a part of other people living an escape life and bring them into a relationship, invite them, introduce them to you from a place of relationship. And Father, I believe that's the heart of our church here. And I ask that you would stir that in us again, Father. That we would come from that vantage point and look, after, we, after you do this work in us, Father, that we would look into our community. We would look into our families first. And then we would look into our communities. Father, from Stillwater to Perkins to uh, 
Morrison that are just all right here by us, Father. To Guthrie, Father, that we would we would look here and we would look into the, the, the next towns around us, Father, and we would Father, there would be fire in us. That Father, you would that you would stir in us, Father, that we would love our communities. Father, that we would love them enough to be willing to be exiled, if you will. Father, to be seen differently, to be persecuted in certain environments, Father, for love of you. Lord, I thank you. I I want to do your will, Father, in my generation, in the places that you've called me to serve you. And Father, I believe that's the heart of our church. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're doing that in us. I thank you that that's our mission. That's the purpose that you've called the church to, Father. Father, it's not a place to invite people to. Father, it's a, it's a, it's a place to go and take the church wherever we go, Father. And Father, to that end, we commit ourselves. I believe I can say that from, our, from Cornell and to our elders. That, Father, we, that is our aim. That is our commitment. That's what we want to disciple those that you've given us to to do Father. Lord we love you and we thank you I thank you for this opportunity thank you Lord Jesus you guys I'll just tell you that, man, I, I don't do I don't know what an altar call always looks like around here but I just invite you that this up here is open if you need that you're welcome to it I know I need it but you're welcome to come and you engage God right here that you would take opportunity in this moment while God's pricking your heart, if he's pricking your heart, that you would take that moment, you would take this time and say, God, I'm here and I want to do business with you. I don't want to lose this moment. I don't want to forget what Johnny said by Wednesday. I want this to be a, a moment, a, a place where there was a pivot, there was a change, there was a commitment that was made, an invitation to come and to engage you and, you, and do something new and do something again in my life. So I invite you to, to come and do that. Um, and, and if that's not you, that's okay. I just invite you to go out to the, to the, to the lobby area and uh, have a great Sunday afternoon. And I can speak for our church. We love you, and God bless you, and we hope you have a great week. Amen. Amen.